Good morning. Will you pray with me? Because I'm too slow. Will you pray with me, please? Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be forever pleasing to you. Amen. The decision of no decision. Have you ever been faced with a decision and toss the options over and over in your brain until sleep just won't come? I sure have. There was a time I had some dissatisfactions in my job. That'll come as a surprise to Susan. I loved the people I worked with. I loved my patients. I loved all the professionals. What I couldn't stand was the politics and it had just about gotten to me. And I was aware that there was a new position opening up somewhere else. Should I apply? Should I seek out a new role, a new opportunity? Or should I stay where I was and just learn to love my job again? I had a secure income. Like I said, people who I trusted and respected. I pondered and pondered so long that that potential position was posted and filled before I had even decided. different responses when faced with life-altering decisions. What is the call of age to the land that I will show you? I don't know about you, but I'm already terrified by those prospects. God was asking him to leave pretty much everything, leaving your country. Think about it. How much of your identity is tied up in being a citizen of the United States? My home is here. My work is here. My friends are here. I've traveled, but I've never lived anywhere but this country, my country. I've actually kissed the ground of the United States when returning from a trip abroad. And as if that's not enough, God was also asking him to leave his kindred, his people. What if I were asked to leave behind my people, my church family, my friends, the causes that keep me going, and my father's house? Well, I haven't lived in my father's house for quite some time, but does that mean I would have to leave behind my family family? My identity is so tied up with place and people. What would be left of me? I can't even imagine. God does not beg Abram to go, nor does he threaten him. He does sweeten the deal with some pretty big promises. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Okay, sweet offer. But me, still, I'd have to think on that a long time and negotiate a few things. And given my emotional connection to places and people, I can't even imagine just picking up and going. 
But what did Abram do? Genesis 12:4 tells us, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram left Haran in faith. He just got up and went. He did get to take his wife and his nephew and a bunch of his property with him. But the point is, he left in faith. He didn't know where he was going, only that God said he would show him where. He was able to defy that human nature that tells us to cling to the familiar, the self-serving, the easy road, and move forward on faith that what God told him would come to pass. Now, Abram was not perfect, and he and we learn, as his story continues throughout Genesis, that the physical journey, while it was long and hard, was no match to the spiritual journey that God had invited him to travel. He had faith in the promises that God had made to him, but there were times that he resorted to relying on himself and his own actions, rather than relying entirely on God. For example, he lied to the Egyptians and told them that Sarai was his sister rather than his wife. She was so beautiful that he figured he would be killed so that Pharaoh could have her for himself. So he lied and put Sarai in jeopardy to save his own skin. And as his and Sarai's age progressed and still they had no child of their own, the couple sought to help the promise along by taking matters into their own hands. He had to learn to travel from being self-reliant to being reliant on God, from greed to contentment. He had to learn to leave behind fears, anxieties, regrets, apathy, and bitterness to arrive at a spiritual place of safety, peace, gratitude, service, and forgiveness. Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abram believed the Lord and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Abram was justified by faith. Before the covenant of the circumcision, before the law was revealed, before Moses, before the Ten Commandments, before the prophets, Abram's leadership in God's family was due to his faith. And we must all make that same spiritual journey. How often are we tempted to take matters into our own hands without first consulting and relying on God? Sometimes the answers to prayer take longer than we'd like. So we act to help God along. And we know how that worked out for Abram and his family. We imagine that we are the ones in charge until life deals us a blow that knocks us to our knees. And then we learn that we are in control only of our response to any thought, situation, or crisis. Our second scripture we'll look at this morning is in the Gospel of John, chapters 3, 1 through 17. Just prior to this reading in John 2, 23 to 25, we learn that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival and that many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. 
But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. In other words, Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. And in some people's hearts was just a superficial belief because they saw the signs that he did. So it was in this context that Nicodemus, a son of Abraham, a learned and educated man, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling body, and an honored member of his community came to Jesus by night. Maybe he recognized that at night Jesus might be freer to have a long conversation. He was surrounded by his followers and crowds in the daytime, and a daytime conversation would likely be in front of many people. Maybe he didn't want anyone to know he was going to see Jesus. And what was he doing up at night, wandering about the city to go see this rabbi anyway? In her reflection on this scripture, Alice McKenzie in Nicodemus's non-decision, posted on pathios.com, says maybe it was because he couldn't decide what to do with Jesus. It was making his mind race as he lay down to sleep. Maybe Nicodemus' thoughts went like this. I hear he turned water into wine. They're saying he's the Messiah, the son sent from God. I wonder if they're right, because how can he make wine out of water if he's not sent from God? But if he is sent from God, why has he not studied with our rabbis? If he's sent from God, why is he so critical of our practices? What does that say about us? What does that say about me? At any rate, John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Nicodemus has approached him respectfully enough. He addresses Jesus as rabbi, a term of respect. Jesus does not respond to the flattery. He does not flatter Nicodemus back and thank him for the honor of his visit. Remember, Jesus knows what is in everyone's heart, and so he cuts right to the chase. Nicodemus wants to know if Jesus is the Messiah. Nicodemus wants to know how he can get into the kingdom of God. Maybe he wants to be reassured that as someone with all his religious credentials, of course he will. But Jesus replies to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. 
Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. This conversation was not going how Nicodemus had anticipated. He has profoundly misunderstood what Jesus is talking about and was told that without being born from above or born again, not only would he not enter the kingdom of God, he would not even see it. Jesus is talking about a required inner change of heart that is only given by God's grace. Grace is one of those things that's really hard to define. A Wesley scholar from Duke University, Duke Divinity School, Richard Heitzenrader, has said that for John Wesley, grace is what God is doing at the depths of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Grace is what God is doing at the depths of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's telling Nicodemus that just his descent from Abraham is not adequate for salvation. His knowledge and position are not enough. He would have to repent and begin a new life in the spirit if he expected to enter the kingdom of God he would have to undergo a transformation so life-changing that it resembled being born in all its messiness and the time and nurturing from others that's required to grow from a newborn to a mature adult. The concept that Nicodemus could not comprehend about the working of the spirit in the new kingdom of God was clearly taught in Hebrew scriptures in the Torah, as well as the prophets. Many of these are familiar to us today and should surely have been known to Nicodemus. From Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. From Jeremiah, but such is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord, I will put my teaching into their inmost being and inscribe it upon their heart. Then I will be their God and they shall be my people. Alice McKenzie, again, in her reflection, Nicodemus's non-decision instructs us that in the Gospel of John, there's a gradual journey from night to day, darkness to light. It's a daily pilgrimage from belief as reciting a creed to belief as opening the door to our soul and letting Jesus in. It's a daily process of flipping the card on our door that says to God, please do not disturb, to please come in and help us clean our room. Come on, Nicodemus, what's your holdup? Remember what your ancestor Abraham did without even knowing where he was going. What are you afraid of? Like many of us, he is afraid that repenting and letting Jesus into our lives will mean losing control. We like control. If that wind of the spirit blows through our souls, where might it take us? What and who 
might blow into our lives and what and who might be blown out. The wind is unpredictable. I like predictable. I like the known and the knowable. Despite it all, the late night of visit of Nicodemus to Jesus gives me hope. I wonder what he did with his conversation with Jesus after he returned home. I'm guessing he had a whole lot more sleepless nights and that he broke out his scriptures and studied some more, searching, searching to understand. Nicodemus appears twice more in John's gospel. In John chapter 7, verse 50, he speaks up at a meeting of the chief priests and Pharisees, challenging their wish to condemn Jesus under their own, without first giving him a hearing. The final time we see Nicodemus is in John 19, verse 38, when Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus, brought Nicodemus with him to remove Jesus' body from the cross and lay him in his own tomb. Nicodemus brought with him 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, and the two of them wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in strips of linens. I hope this means that Nicodemus made that journey in his soul to come to accept rather than reject Jesus, that he went from indecision to decision, that he bravely took that leap of faith like his father Abraham and put his faith in God and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what about me? And what about you? Am I brave enough to let go and really, truly let Jesus into my innermost being? He already knows what is there, and he loves me just the same. Can I be humble enough to ask for his help to clean up my messes? Can I be trusting enough to have faith in his promises? Can I truly accept that God's love is so unexpected and so audacious and so radical that his love is for all of us, whether I want it that way or not, whether I love him back or not? Do I have the faith to get let God place his spirit and his word in my heart and never, ever be the same? That's a journey and a decision we all have to make. Amen.